0: talk line network radio america's longest running jewish broadcast network the voice of the jewish community
1: welcome to the podcast
2: and now
0: you're listening to talk line with zev brenner america's premier jewish broadcast on the air since
2: 1981
3: and now here's your host Welcome back to the program, Mom Moms. It's always a treat, always a privilege to have Nat Lewin with us. He's been in the courts for more than 55 years and voted by his peers to be included in the best lawyers in America and the District of Columbia for all the 25 editions of that volume. He's also been among the best lawyers in the following four practice areas, but he's also been a sort defender of the Jewish community in so many different cases, including... Uh, Shalom, Mordechai, Rabashkin, and others. It's a pleasure to have you back on the broadcast. Thank you for joining us.
4: Oh, sir. It's been quite a while since uh, we've had a conversation, I guess, maybe before the MAGAFA hit. Right. But I'm,
3: I'm glad to have you back, and you're looking good. And, of course, always nice to see you. And I know Ricky's in the background, the family. So uh, good to speak with you again. Before I get to our topic, which is that crazy story of anti-Semitic agitators and protesters who got an award, upheld by the courts, a damage award from Ms. Shul because they were protesting against it, but I know you and I discussed off the air uh, the injustice that was done, the miscarriage of justice in the case of Shelley Silver, so I just first wanted to begin with that because that's something which a lot of people have commented to me, that they were upset by, by what happened. Uh,
4: well, yes, I was very upset. I was very upset from the beginning of the prosecution of Shelley. I mean, I I wrote a piece uh, in this week's Jewish press in which I specifically referred to the fact that uh, by strange ways that only Akadosh baruchu knows, Shelley passed on the day that um, on Daf Yomi, they spoke about that you have to be very careful if you are an important, prominent person, because people attack you and people attacked him totally unjustly. I thought from the very beginning of the charge against him that they ganged up on him on the basis of standards that had not been followed by legislators in New York for years. Shelley was very punctilious about being careful not to do things that would be improper, but what he was charged with doing was really uh, 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 the kind of thing that legislators in New York had been doing for years. But his opponents made a criminal charge of it. They succeeded in persuading a jury that this was a crime, and. and Shelley was, I thought, really the one legislator in the United States who was the strongest guardian of Jewish religious rights. I mean, I did a lot of work on the federal basis with Steve Solars, who was the other who also defended Jewish religious rights, but Shelley was always there. And I noted in my piece in the Jewish press that Obviously, the standard by which he led his public life was the standard that Mordecai told Esther Hamalka. He, Shelley, always knew that if he had these important positions and was able to influence public policy, he would do it on behalf of the Jewish community. He did it. In regard, I knew personally, in regard to the New York GET laws, which he introduced. And there was a time with a new governor in New York, Mario Cuomo, when the question was whether the governor would approve it. He was active in urging the governor to approve that law. I drafted it, but I know I and Rabbi Scherer were fighting for it. And Shelley really pushed for it, and the later get law. And he also did similar kinds of things that I personally knew of with regard to Kiryas Joel. Kiryas Joel, I litigated in the Supreme Court. I lost in the Supreme Court. And the truth is, the Kiryas Joel school that was at issue in that case would have closed that summer because the Supreme Court said it was unconstitutional to finance it. And Shelley Silver amended the law not once, not twice, but three times. Each time, in order to be sure that that school could continue. So, even though the Supreme Court held against it, the school was not closed for a single day. And that's a tribute to Shelley Silver, of Rocca. and I feel. Again, I've seen lots of outrages in terms of. Uh, Jews being prosecuted or in various ways targeted in American courts. But the prosecution of Shelley Silver was among those, in my own experience, it ranked with, and I didn't represent him. I read about it in the newspapers. But I thought that what was done to Shelley Silver was as bad as the kinds of things that American justice did to other Jewish victims over recent years. Is
3: it anti-Semitism then?
4: I think there may have been. Again, anti-Semitism or at least anti-Orthodox practices sometimes emerge even on the part of Jews. I mean, I represented uh Uh, One of the defendants who was charged in what I call the the uh, uh, getcha case where, where they created a crime in order to get some people who they thought were really acting very actively and threatening violence to against husbands who would not give a get and the federal government created a crime. They made it up. They had people acting as an aguna uh in order to trap Orthodox Jews who would participate in trying to get a get, force a get. That was an outrage. I participated as a defense counsel in that case. You
3: do about a, is that the Rabbi Epstein case? John. The Rabbi Epstein case, correct?
4: Rabbi Epstein. Absolutely. I did not represent him. I represented another defendant who had really joined just in order to be a witness to the signing of the get. And they trapped him. They prosecuted him. And a jury, federal jury in New Jersey convicted him, found him guilty before a Jewish federal judge. It was an it was a really embarrassing case for Jews in the United States.
3: Now in the case of Shelley Silver is notwithstanding whether he should have been prosecuted or not, the fact is though, under COVID regulations, they freed a whole bunch of people from being in prison to home confinement because of the COVID, especially those that were at risk. You even had uh, Michael Cohen, Donald Trump's lawyer, and you had uh, others that were released. Uh, you had Dean Skellos. So here you have Shelley Silver who was released. There was a public outcry, and they put him back. So uh, that was upsetting, but was even more upsetting. When he was sick, he wanted to be transferred to a regular medical facility, and they wouldn't let him. Is this- well, again,
4: I have to tell you, that was the culmination of an outrage. The main case that you want me to speak about this evening, also, you focused on what is the culmination, not the main outrage. I'll, I'll describe for you what the what how that case is outrageous. But the fact that an award of $150,000 in attorney fees was charged against the people who brought this case, the plaintiffs in the case, is only a very small part of the outrage, the same way as with Shelley Silver not releasing him from jail uh, uh, during COVID was a small point in what was a huge outrage. And we should be, what we should be objecting to is not merely that little point at the very end. Of course, that was terrible, but that's not the main, the main tragedy. And the main outrage of the Shelley Silver history was the prosecution of Shelley Silver and what they did in terms of going after him because he was so powerful and had managed to move into a position of great prominence.
3: So would you say, was it anti-Semitism in that case, or they really didn't like a powerful individual, they want to bring down a powerful individual or a combination of the two?
4: Well, it's a powerful individual. And then there are very likely, I don't recall exactly who prosecuted and who the lawyers were on the prosecution team. But there can be Jews in the prosecution team who do not, uh, I mean, are, are just so much overtaken by their own ambitions and their own very narrow view of how they think they will become famous and 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 uh, uh, become uh lauded by the public, that even if they're Jewish, they have an element, an element of, quote, Uh, anti-Semitism. Raboshkin was prosecuted by non-Jews and in a non-Jewish area and a non-Jewish judge. But the fact of the matter is that there was certainly an element of uh, anti-Semitism in the prosecution of uh, Sholem Raboshkin. And I think there is a certain form of anti-Semitism in the prosecution of Shelley Silver and the prosecution of Rabbi Epstein and these kinds of cases, even if there are Jews who are behind it.
3: Now, speaking of that, and there's some similarities where the, our main focus is going to be tonight about an appeals court upholds a ruling forcing an Ann Arbor synagogue to pay $159,000 to an anti-Semitic protesters that were protesting for years and years outside this conservative synagogue. Um... In fact, Henry Hirschwitz, who was a Jew, he was the one that was demonstrating about end Jewish su- supremacism in Palestine and end of Israel and other anti-Semitic canards protesting for years and years. So what happened over here? Because here you have an appellate court upheld the lower court decision about this fine. Perhaps you can shed some light as to what is transpiring here.
4: Well, what was transpiring was, I mean, you could read the opinion of the Court of Appeals. I will tell you that when the Court of Appeals issued its opinion, I was not involved in that case, but I read about it. And I wrote a piece at that point, uh, printed in JNS, that said, this is a clear and present danger to Jews in the United States, to American Jews. It's, and I don't, as, as someone who suffered from the Shoah I don't take Holocaust analogies easily. But you couldn't help but think of the fact that in Germany, when they began, well, even before Hitler, the attacks on Jews were ganging up at the synagogues. You surround the synagogues and you attack the Jews as they're going into shul. And this was a case in which the court itself says, I will read it to you, every Saturday morning, since September 2003, protesters have picketed the Beth Israel synagogue. Their group typically comprises six to 12 people and they display signs on the grassy sections by the sidewalk in front of the synagogue and across the street from it. The signs carry inflammatory messages with statements such as resist Jewish power, Jewish power corrupts, stop funding Israel, end the Palestinian Holocaust, and no more Holocaust movies. I mean, you know, to stand around the shul, not during the week when it may be empty and maybe occasionally people come there, but deliberately to gather there when the people are coming on Shabbos morning to doven and to have those kind of signs? That's not free speech. And yet, the problem is that an American court, a court of appeals for the Sixth Circuit, three judges of that court, led by their chief judge, said, oh, this is part of the the Israeli-Palestinian dispute, and it's free speech, and therefore it's permitted. That was nonsense.
3: Is hate speech considered free speech Ned?
4: Free speech. The problem is that there are cases which say that, you know, you can hold up placards, you can hold up signs. If you don't go in, generally these are cases now that involve abortion clinics. And uh, the anti-abortion activists... Surround abortion clinics with signs of this kind protesting abortions and courts have said, oh, that's protected free speech. Well, that's not abortion clinics are not places of worship, are not places where you go to pray and exercise your right to freedom of religion. And that's why this is not a free speech case. This is a case that involves interfering with freedom of religion, with Jews who are going to pray. And Jews were intimidated in Ann Arbor for 18 years. But unfortunately, I was told the great constitutional experts, I was told there were three constitutional law professors who were members of that synagogue. And they said, this is just free speech. You have to allow And that is Jews defeating themselves, being their own worst enemies. So that the synagogue never really said we have a legal right to prevent this because they said it's just free speech. And it took one very active and dedicated member of the shul to finally bring a lawsuit. And he brought a lawsuit and the judge who was uh, in uh, in charge of the lawsuit, a woman judge in Michigan, she was affected not only by the defendants, but by the American Civil Liberties Union, which came in to support the defendants, headed by Jewish lawyers in Michigan who said, this is free speech. And she said, first, these people don't have the the plaintiff does not have what the lawyers call standing. He's just been had his emotional, uh, suffer some emotional distress. But that's not good enough. So that case was taken to the Court of Appeals. And then the Court of Appeals goes on on its own. It says, no, he does have standing. He could bring the suit. But rather than sending the case back to the district judge, who did not seem to be favorably inclined in any event, but instead of sending it back to the district judge, the Court of Appeals goes on to say, well, we're going to decide this case, and we're going to say this is just part of the Arab-Israeli dispute, and therefore is free speech. Now, that was an outrageous decision. I read it. I couldn't believe that an American court would say that about a gang around a shul, around a synagogue. So I wrote a piece about it. And after I wrote the piece, at some point, the plaintiff in the case changed lawyers and asked me to represent it. So I am now representing the plaintiff in that case, and I've gotten time. I'm representing him pro bono, and I've gotten until April 1 to file with the Supreme Court in that case. And in the meantime, this district judge, who was obviously hostile to the plaintiff in the first place, has entered this order. She didn't hold a hearing. She didn't have the parties in front of her. But simply on the basis of papers, she said, okay, the plaintiff's case is so frivolous that... I'm gonna grant lawyers uh, fees to the defendants. The defendants, and I must say, when I wrote my piece, I didn't know this, but now a, the, the journalists who have covered the piece have discovered and written about the fact that the demonstrators were a group called, wit, or affiliated with a group called Witness for Peace which is on the list of the Anti-Defamation League as an anti-Semitic organization based in Ann Arbor, Michigan, that primarily espouses anti-Israel content and anti-Semitic tropes about Jewish racism, power and influence and dual loyalties. The reporter has said that ADL describes WFP's leader, And the self-described coordinator of the demonstrations as a Holocaust denier. So that's what you've got. You've got a case in which this organization puts together 8 to 12 people every Shabbos morning in front of the shul to have signs that say Jewish power corrupts. And I can't believe that the Supreme Court of the United States is going to support this or permit this and I would hope that when I file my petition that I get Jewish organizations there was Kolpa had an amicus curiae brief in the court of appeals that was uh, good at Israel really led this effort yeah I could have submitted an am- a friend of the court brief in the court of appeals but it was ignored and the court of appeals just allowed the district judge to do what she did.
3: Outrageous. Outrageous. Our guest is prominent attorney Nat Lewin. He is offender of Jewish causes, in this case defending a synagogue where they had the lawyer and you had some of the other members that sued a group an anti-Semitic group that protested for years and years outside the synagogue and there were the judge ruled that they have to pay a hundred and fifty nine thousand dollar fine for bringing the lawsuit outrageous when we come back we continue our conversation with Nat Lewin
1: follow us on Facebook Twitter and Instagram
3: One of the most important Jewish institutions in the world today is TalkLine with Zeb rana He is so smart and he is so innovative and he has so many interesting guests. I don't know what Yiddishkeit, I don't know what New York, I don't know what the world would do without Zeb. So Zev Zeb, may you go from strength to strength and keep keep informing us and educating us and keep fighting for Jewish values.
0: You're listening to Talk Line with Zev Brenner, America's premier Jewish broadcast on the air since
3: 1981. And now, here's your host. And we are back. Nat Lewin, famed attorney, over 55 years, done tremendous amounts of work, especially for our community. And we're looking at a strange case, well, unfortunate case, of an anti-Semitic protest group that has gotten an award of $159,000, and the, for protesting outside a synagogue, and uh, we're looking at that. Uh, we're taking some of your phone calls right now. Let's go to Arye in Flapush. Your question for Nat Lewin, go at Arye in Flapush.
1: Okay, it's really a comment. You know, I, let's not conflate the Shelley silicates case with this. It stands alone. Clearly, these uh, synagogue worshipers, Uh, had nothing to do with uh, what these people were allegedly protesting against. So it's clearly a case of of harassment. Now, this case, Michigan has always been considered an anti-Semitic state. I'm going to state it openly. And this case, I believe, was facilitated by the Kim Potter verdict. OK, because fascist notions of injustice are taking over the judiciary. This is not simply a wrong decision, as was Kim Potter, who made an innocent mistake while she was supervising another cop uh, doing the job. OK, uh, this was this was a deliberate uh, decision by the Michigan courts. OK, to put the hammer on the Jews. And I, if this decision stands, this is going to be a warning a clarion bell for all Jews to get out of this country if this decision stands, and I am not exaggerating.
3: i let Nat respond to you. Go ahead, Nat.
1: Well,
4: <laughs> I, I, I I don't know the details of what the caller has been talking about, about other, but I can tell you that to me, reading that opinion by the chief judge of the Court of Appeals for the Sixth Circuit, I said... This is a clear and present danger to America's Jews. This was when I was not involved in the case at all. I just read the opinion. And, you know, I agree. I think it is a call really to America's Jews to be on the alert. And if the Supreme Court does not take this case, or if it allows the case to stand, and there can be even an award for the people who did the protests, which is an anti-Semitic group. I think that's a very frightening uh, clarion call to Jews in the United States. And that's all Jews. This may have been a conservative synagogue and it may have been people who want to go to pray, but even Jews, Hitler proved that you don't have to want to pray to be subjected to what the kind of attacks that Jews historically have been subjected to.
3: And Ari, Ari, thank you for your phone call. Now, before we get to our next phone call, I was just curious to clarify, again, I asked you this before, as to what limits can, can a group go uh, and make anti-black, anti-Jewish statements. We did a show about the Goyim Defense League, which seems to be within the law where they protest against Jewish sites. There are neo-Nazis that were in Florida that were demonstrating. Here you have a group that's demonstrating outside a synagogue. But if they're on the street, does, how far, where does the law stand? If it would be an anti-black group where they had the same kind of decision? Is that the free speech? Uh, how far does it go?
4: There's no question. America is unique. And in a certain sense, for all the years I've been litigating, I've been proud of the fact that America is unique in protecting free speech. And to the extent that these demonstrators, anti-Semites they may be, if they simply marched around the streets of Ann Arbor with these signs, they would have a free speech right to do that. They could carry signs that said Jewish power corrupts, Jews have too much power, all kinds of lies. But I just say in this case, as a lawyer, as a constitutional lawyer, as someone who was taught in the leading law schools has taught constitutional law, I say this is not free speech. This is simply harassing religion. This is gathering around a synagogue. What would happen if and I've said this in the brief I filed already, what would happen if people did got around a Muslim mosque and started making assertions that Muslims you know, have child brides and imprison women and uh, Sharia law uh, requires death. Uh, I mean, I, I, that would just lead to religious hatred around the mosque or around the Catholic Church. Assuming what they said was, you know, the Pope is is a, 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 an abuser of children and the Catholic Church abuses children. I mean, what happens if you would say that around the church? It's one thing you want to say it in an anti-Semitic magazine or publication or even if you wanna walk around the streets of a city with a placard that says it, in the United States, that's free speech. You can say all kinds of hateful things. You couldn't get away with that in a lot of European countries, but in the United States, we're proud of the fact that we have free speech. But to gather around a synagogue when people are coming to pray, that's not free speech. You're not trying to persuade anybody. They're just trying to intimidate and harass people who are engaged in a constitutional right, the right to pray.
3: But when neo-Nazis gathered in Skokie, oh, about 20-some years ago in a Jewish area, or you say they could march with these hate signs— well Chuck Chuck just, just one more just one more the opinions and views expressed there and not necessarily proud of was
1: <coughs> a
4: 26.WS <band clears throat> and off French man of sense that stay at 8am 6:20 wanted to mark zero
3: neighborhood what what I started to say, saying that, that was is that, is that when the neo nazis marched in Skokie 20 some years ago and I think the ACLU defended them Now, you're saying they could march in signs, you know, away from the shul, from the synagogue, but they're going to say, hey, we can be, we're in public property, we're in the street, we're not in the synagogue, we're across the street from the synagogue, so we're exercising free. Why is free speech different? Why is hate speech allowed two blocks away, not in front of the synagogue? It shouldn't be allowed anywhere. Well, no. I
4: mean, if you want to protect free speech, I think you can protect free speech with, it's really In some way, an effort to persuade some people, even of some hateful message, you're trying to persuade people that you're right. Okay, in America, you can do that, even if you're anti-Semitic, even if you're hateful, you can do that. But to gather around the synagogue is not speech, it's action, which is designed to harass and intimidate, which it did. It got people not to want to go to that shul. It got people to be terrified when they were going to the shul to see those signs. So it's an interference with freedom of worship. That's a very fine line, maybe a legal line, but I think it's very clear. You can't go and stand at where the people are going to pray and say, I'm just engaged in free speech. That's all that I'm doing, apart from the fact that this court just immediately saw this as an Israeli-Palestinian dispute, even though the sign said Jewish power corrupts, and it just was an attack on Jews in addition to an attack on Israel. But I think an attack on Israel
3: in the United
4: States today is anti-Semitism under the IRA definition of anti-Semitism. It is anti-Semitism. You're trying to get at the Jews by saying, oh, all I'm doing is I'm just criticizing Israel. But you're really attacking the
0: Jews
3: for that. Stan is your question for Nat Lewin. Go ahead, Stan.
0: I find it difficult, Counselor, that you made the comparison. And it's the same thing with people standing in front of abortion clinic protesting and uh, not allowing people to go in is the same thing as... Uh, these, these these idiots protesting against the Jews and not letting, uh, doing the, uh, letting them in it is the same thing I don't agree with what they're doing outside. I agree what they were doing inside, but it's the same thing it's speech how do you how do you see that it's not it's i'm not for either group. let me make that clear I'm not for the anti-Semites and I'm sure not for the people who protest against abortion, but it is the same thing they're speaking and so on now the question I need to know is Are the streets in front of the synagogue private? Are they owned by the synagogue or are they public?
4: They're public streets. The difference, I think, I have to tell you, the difference is that an abortion clinic is not protected by the free exercise clause of the First Amendment. An abortion clinic is not a place where you engage in religion. That's correct. That's correct. Hold well, well, on, let Nat not, respond to that. Whereas a synagogue is a place where you engage in the free exercise of religion. So you can't tell me that what you do in front of an abortion clinic is the same as what you do in front of a synagogue.
1: If Even both
0: places, Rabbi, uh, excuse me, counselor, if both places, both groups do not allow the people to go in, then it's the same thing or try to stop it. And so forth, which they do in abortion clinics. It's exactly the same thing. You're bringing in the religious aspect of it, but it's still speech. I can say I hate the abortion clinics because they're killing babies, or I can say I can hate. I don't want. I, I hate the Jews and blah 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 blah. It's the same thing exactly, except it's different situation. You're putting more emphasis on the religious aspect, which I understand from your point of view. But it's the same thing. I'm not for these people. I can't stand either one of them. But the other thing is. Why didn't the court say, "Go a, a court like they do it in conventions"? They put the people a mile and a half away or a court. Why didn't they do that? Do you know? I have an idea. Why didn't the court do what? I'm sorry, I missed. In that. At con- democratic conventions, when people are protesting, or Republican conventions, they move the protesters away, like a mile or a quarter of a mile. And the courts do that in that, that aspect. How come they couldn't do that in this aspect? You know, they moved That's them- what the
4: plaintiffs. That's what the plaintiffs asked for. They said, move them five feet away from the synagogue.
2: Were they across move the street? Them a
4: thousand feet away from the synagogue. Were and they, ac- they
2: refused.
4: Right. They asked the Ann Arbor police to move them away, and right. the Ann Arbor police said, no. They have a free speech right to stand on the public street and say it. Even though that public street, those areas are surrounding the synagogue.
0: Well, how did they come Go up with them. the amount of money? That's what I, What was the money the, for? Because they, they went against the group and they said no. And the, I, I thought if there were damages to these people physically, they would sue. Why was the money given? That I don't understand. Good
3: question. Why? Where did they come up yeah, with that I don't amount know, of money? Yeah, did
0: how, and how did, for what purpose?
4: The money was awarded as attorney's fees uh. to the for having to to defend against the plaintiffs who sued to try to get them moved, They call it a frivolous
3: lawsuit, didn't they? Pardon? Didn't they call it a frivolous frivolous lawsuit?
4: The the, the district judge said, yes, it's a frivolous lawsuit.
0: It's unbelievable because I do think both events are the same thing, but I understand from the religious evidence. But they shouldn't have to pay anything. I mean, that's crazy. On that point, I agree with you. Whether come on. At all points,
3: it's anyway. Thank you for your phone call. No problem. I appreciate your call. Okay, we are going to take a break. Our guest is famed attorney Nat Lewin. He defends lots of Jewish causes and has taken on the case of a Ann Arbor, Michigan synagogue where. Uh, The judge ruled that the synagogue has to play an anti-Semitic group, $159,000 for bringing a lawsuit, protesting that they have anti-Semitic canards and signs, been doing this for years and years and years and getting away with it. When we come, we're going to be right back right after these messages.
2: Are you interested in hosting your own radio show and podcast, or perhaps a TV program? TalkLine Network can help you get on the air from one hour weekly to 24 hours a day. Ideal for ethnic, foreign language, medical business, and religious broadcasting. We also have full-time radio stations for lease, as well as FM HD channels. For more information, please call 212-769-1925. That's 212-769-1925. Or email zevrenner at gball.com.
1: Hi, this
0: is David Gabe, and you're listening to The Zev Brenner Show. You're listening to Talk Line with Zev Brenner, America's premier Jewish broadcast on the air since 1981.
3: And now, here's your host... Our, we're back, our final stretch with Nat Lewin, famed attorney based in Washington, D.C. Lewin & Lewin is a, is a firm and 55 years' experience, and uh, we're taking some of your phone calls. Let's go to Yaakov in Williamsburg. Yakov, your question for Nat Lewin. Go ahead, Yaakov.
2: Yes, a good one. I have three quick uh, questions. Number one, what's the affiliation of the synagogue? Conservative, Orthodox, what is it?
3: I didn't, I
4: didn't get that. Uh, he wanted
3: to know what the affiliation of the synagogue is. It's conservative, orthodox, or reform.
2: It's conservative. Okay. Now, I have a, a second question. Despite the fact that it could be uh, against the rule of Shabbos, have they ever tried to confront those people peacefully uh, on Shabbos while they were doing that, to, to talk to them or shout them down or something like that? If your question
4: is whether they confronted the people... Yes, they, some of the people there did go and talk to the demonstrators. And um, uh, when, when, at least according to one report, when one of the people went to a demonstrator and said, uh, uh, you know, that uh, uh, Jews suffered in the Holocaust, the response was, well, it's all right. So the Jews, the Israelis are killing the Palestinians.
2: Okay, now, could I, could I, could I mention one thing uh, since the Purim is coming? It's month of Adar. It says in the system of uh, Megillah that the act of Achish taking off his ring and giving it to Haman caused more repentance among the Jews than all of the Hebrew prophets combined. So, uh, since this is a conservative synagogue, uh, It might help to also do that, as well as what your services to them. In in addition to that, that's just a statement. And and as far as the confrontation goes, you know what? It could have been an
3: Orthodox synagogue. It makes no difference. Just like when they had the attack in Texas, it's no different. What the affiliation is? It's an attack on Jews. They don't care if you're Orthodox, Conservative. It just happens that he picked this particular one. So uh,
2: no, I'm not. I'm not taking. I'm not saying that. I'm taking all of us. All of us have to do more repentance. Okay. Also. I want to say just one more thing very quickly. Um, when the confrontation occurred, I, 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 don't, I don't see one person talking. I'm talking about, even though it's Shabbos, a group vociferous shout-down. It, it's Stoke Shabbos in a case like this. That's what I think. And that's all I have to say. Thank you very much.
3: Nat, do you want to respond to that? I didn't quite hear it. (laughs) I think he wanted to know if uh, the Jews should have been screaming and yelling and having a a vociferous counter demonstration, uh, even though it may not be in the spirit of Shabbos, is what he was saying.
4: No, I don't think that uh, that a vociferous counter uh, would would have any effect on those who were there, and they gather every Shabbos morning. I mean, uh, so I don't think that responding to them with any vociferous way would affect them in any way.
3: I'm curious to know in the, this case, isn't it a Jewish individual, a Henry Herskovitz, an anti-Jewish Holocaust denier? He's the founder of Jewish Witnesses of Peace, who's the main agitator here.
4: Well, I don't personally. I don't know anything about Mr. Herskovitz. I don't want to speak about him. I just know what a reporter has discovered about him and has written about him. Uh, so
3: that's that's all that I know about him. Okay, let's go to Saul in Brooklyn. Saul, you have a question for our guests. Go ahead.
0: Yes, thank you. I just wanted to call and say on behalf of all the people who are able to observe the Sabbath and keep their jobs because of a lawsuit by Mr. Uh, Mr. Lewin Esquire, in which he got the court to find where there's that they need to have a reasonable accommodation to Sabbath observers unless there was undue hardship, which I personally benefited from and thousands of other people benefited from. I want to say, Nat, Mr. Lewin, thank you very much. And I encourage you on your current lawsuit, everything you do in, in this regard has always been wonderful. And I want you to Uh, I want to compliment you and I want to encourage you to continue because you've done wonderful work, actually historic work, and it's very much appreciated. Well, I
4: I very much appreciate your comment, and uh, I'm proud of the fact that I did draft that federal statute that requires that employers can have to accommodate to religious observance unless they can demonstrate undue hardship. I personally drafted that language, and together with Dennis Rapps and others at Culpa years and years ago, uh, got it through Congress. So uh, I'm very happy to hear from anybody who has benefited from that law or from other laws that I tried to work on uh, during the many years that I have had the honor and the privilege of practicing law and representing the Jewish community in various cases
3: in the United States. Henry, thank you for a very good call. And, and that does deserve accolades for all the work he's done for so many different Jewish groups and individuals, whether Shomer Shabbos and Get Laws and the other laws, and helping free people from prison like the case of robashin So thank you for that.
0: Thank you. Have a good night.
3: Have a good night. Good night. Okay, um, I was just curious, is... is do you think there is a possibility of success in this case because once you know you appeal, i don 't know what the odds are you would know better if when you appeal a decision from the appellate <clears throat> division. What are the odds of success?
4: Well, the Supreme Court certainly takes very few takes one percent of the cases that are presented to it, but I think that the extreme nature of this case, particularly if When I file a petition, there is substantial support from other groups, friends of the court, as you, these days, in some of the free exercise of religion cases, and this is a free exercise of religion case. Don't forget, there are now on the Supreme Court, six justices who have expressed very strong support for the free exercise of religion. And I have to say, I would think that with the facts of this case, even the three, quote, liberals who've been reluctant on free exercise of religion might very well agree that this is not free speech, but that this is simply harassment and interference with a constitutional right, which is the right to pray and to worship and that the free speech right is limited. It's, it's, it's limited in so many other ways. Fighting words are not free speech. Defamation is not free speech. Child pornography is not free speech. And so I don't know why this becomes free speech. And I think maybe a unanimous Supreme Court can say that.
3: Okay, we'll squeeze in one more, Funko. Let's go to Lisa on the east side of Manhattan. Lisa, you have a question for our guests. Go ahead, Lisa.
1: Thank you. What happens if uh, people protest in front of mosques or, or black churches? Then it would be
4: a hate crime. But the, these these liberal idiots, and I mean that,
1: uh, they, don't, they uh, think that Jews, only 15 million of us in the world, are the oppressors, oppressors, <laughs> and... Um, they're not, You know, Jewish people don't protest, like blacks come out and uh, whatever. They don't protest effectively at all. But it would be a hate crime if this was done in a black church
2: or mosque. It's not free speech. It would be a hate crime. But with
1: Jews, it's okay to do it to them. I'm very angry at this.
3: I'll let, I'll let Nat respond to you. Go ahead now. Well,
4: again, you going to have to translate that. Response. I think she's saying
3: that if there had been a hate group uh, against the mosque or any place else, it would, have been, it, wouldn't have, it would have been treated differently than it's in front of a synagogue.
4: Well, <clears throat> I wish I could disagree with you. I don't know whether I can disagree with you. I mean, I think maybe if this had all happened around the mosque, Yeah, Uh, or black shirt. The court court might very well uh, uh, have arrived at a different result. I don't know. You can speculate that. There's a basis for that conclusion, I think, on on what's happening in the United States today. But the fact is this happened around the synagogue, and I think maybe a court would have been more sensitive to it had it happened around the mosque, or indeed even around the Catholic Church.
3: Anyway, thank you for your question. A few moments we have remaining. You've written, I just want to change gears for one moment, you've written an article in Tablet Magazine called When Justice Breyer Was Called to the Tower," and I'm curious to hear about that, but isn't the seat that's being vacated considered a Jewish seat, and now they want to make it an Afro-American woman's seat?
4: Well... (laughs) There was a time before Justice Ginsburg died that there were three Jews on the Supreme Court, which was really very unusual. Uh, I don't think, although I'm certainly proud of the fact that uh, Louis Louis Brandeis and Benjamin Cardozo and Felix Frankfurter and Arthur Goldberg all were on the Supreme Court, and even Abe Fortas. uh, I think that the best, person who qualifies ought to be appointed to the Supreme Court. I don't think that there should be a, uh, a racial or religious or gender uh, qualification or uh, quota with regard to the court. And I think that uh, the, uh, I'm, uh, with uh, Breyer, I mean, the interesting thing about Breyer and that piece that I wrote that maybe your audience would be interested in is that Breyer's Hebrew name is the same as Rashi, Shlomo Ben Yitzchak. I discovered that and I told the story of how, because it was Shlomo Ben Yitzchak and because he knows he's able to remember Rashi better than Shlomo Ben Yitzchak, he got an aliyah at the Marble Arch Synagogue when the Gabbai went up to him and said, I recognized him, Justice Breyer, we'd like to give you an aliyah. What is your Hebrew name? And Breyer reported to me in a meeting that we had that he told the Gabi that he didn't know his Hebrew name, but he knew that it was the same as Rashi. And therefore he got his aliyah.
3: Amazing, amazing story. What we focus on this synagogue in Ann Arbor, Michigan, that's facing these protests. What do you see as the biggest danger from a legal point of view facing Jews today?
4: The biggest problem facing Jews today? Is that what you asked?
3: Yes. From a legal point of view, what uh, could we see? You mentioned that. Well, I
4: think the biggest problem facing Jews today in the United States is the, um, theme that is urged by the anti-Semites, that they can simply uh, attack Jews by cloaking their attacks as an attack on Israel. Every attack on Israel is an attack on Jews, an attack on American Jews. And nobody should be uh, fooled by the fact that people are saying we're only attacking Israel. Israel does not deserve to be attacked, should not be attacked on the grounds it is, and is just a masquerade or a cloak for attacking Jews. So attack on Israel, and that's I think the biggest problem today in terms of the Jewish community in the United States.
3: Nat Lewin, a famed attorney has does so much for our community, thank you for sharing your wisdom, your insight, and we hope that you have a lot of success in, in this particular case all your other cases, and nachas from your children and from the family. Thank in regards to Ricky.
4: Too, in regards to Adina and to your family, too. And This is a time of Simcha. I mean, so these are months of Simcha. so we should all have joys, and the greatest joy will be if we're released from the Magefa, Baruch, who's it. It's a shame it's the okay. Supreme
3: Court can't so, hear this case during the month of Adar. <laughs> Right. That would be nice if we were in the month of Adari or the Aleph of Bays, but it's not going to happen. What we'll, final question. How long would it take if the Supreme Court were to look into this case in our in our, our Ann Arbor, Michigan? What time period are we looking at before be- Oh,
4: we're, we're looking at the court taking if the court takes the case? It will take it uh, in probably in in May or June. And that means that the case would be argued in the next term of court, uh, which begins in October and might not be decided until the 2023, uh, probably.
3: Wow. Well, Nat, uh, thank you for joining us. All right. Thank you, and good night.
1: Thanks for listening.
2: For continuous Jewish programs, talklinenetwork.com or our 24-hour-a-day listen line at 641-741-0389. For past shows, you can find us on iTunes, Spotify, Amazon, YouTube, Instagram, and all major podcast platforms or JewishPodcast.org. Thanks for listening to the Talk com.
0: Talkline Network Radio, America's longest running Jewish broadcast network, the voice of the Jewish community. Talkline Network Radio, America's longest running Jewish broadcast network, the voice of the Jewish community.